What's up, boys and girls? Welcome to another episode of Walk on Wisdom, where I attempt to, in the best way that I can, answer your questions. Now, these questions are coming in via email at podcast at michaelchandler.com, um, where we load them up and read them, um, and I try to answer them uh, somewhat on the fly without any kind of... Um, without any kind of preparation, just to answer the question of what it comes, what it comes to heart, um, in the moment. And, uh, like I said before, I by no means claim to have the answers, um, to anything. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, everything is, everything is opinion and based upon our past experiences. Obviously this is called walk on wisdom because you guys know my, um, my background and where I started as a walk on at the university of Missouri, being the lowest guy on the totem pole. So I gleaned a lot of wisdom from starting at the bottom and then somehow scraping and clawing and getting extremely lucky and very blessed to have great people around me and end up having a great amount of success on a world stage. So without further ado, let's get into the questions. Remember if you want to, um, I hope you enjoy these um, this episode, but also if you want to send in your questions a little bit deeper, longer form questions, um, send them into podcast at michaelchandler.com. So first one comes from Ernie Lopez. Hey Mike, been loving this series you've been doing. I really like the phrase you used about being unable to fly with the Eagles. If you're stuck pecking with the chickens, I've found success with cultivating new relationships that are supportive and con conducive to my goals. My question lies in dealing with relationships and connections that are no longer serving you and your goals. What advice do you have for ending slash altering slash reducing the negative aspects of relationships that are no longer congruent with your goals and who you want to become? See you at the top, Ernie. What a great question. Um, because yes, Ernie is alluding to um, me saying that if you want to soar with the eagles, you can't be pecking around with the chickens. And it's a very um, cliche quote type of way to say, essentially, you're never going to reach the realms of your higher calling and the people that you admire and the people that you want to emulate, you're never going to reach those, those circles and those, the goals that you so desire. If you continue to surround yourself with emulate, follow and spend most of your time with people that people's that go, people that go, their goals are not congruent to, or at, at least at the same level of your inclination or your yearning to be your best self. So the answer that Ernie or the question that Ernie has here is how do you start to pull people out of your life? How do you start to distance yourself? How do you start to reduce that time? How do you start? Because it really is one of life's toughest, toughest aspects. I think we have certain relationships, we have certain, um, we have certain obligations that we feel to people. Um, we have certain, certain feelings that we know, you know, Hey, this, this guy really helped me in high school with this time of my life. This girl really helped me at, during this time of my life. Um, but plain and simple people change and circumstances change and seasons change. And sometimes people are in your life for a certain season. They weren't going to be in your life for the entirety of it. Um, when I really started pursuing college wrestling, um, when I really started throwing my full heart into it, when I first started really pursuing mixed martial arts, it became a little bit easier when I became, you know, a mixed martial artist and throw myself fully into that because I was, you know, I wasn't as young anymore. I was 22, 23 years old ish. Um, but in those teenage years, when you're really kind of making that transition from high school to college or high school to the workforce, you have your hometown, you have the people from your hometown, you have family members that you spend most of your time with. And then life comes at you fast and college comes or jobs come or obligations or responsibilities come. Maybe you get married, married, maybe you have children. Um, it starts to become easier and easier to distance yourself from people that don't serve you, relationships that don't serve you. The feeling that you get when you're around those people, it does not serve you, nor does it inspire you, nor does it make you want to be a better self. Um, aside from just sounding very blunt, don't feel so obligated to always respond to people. If you want to start cutting off a relationship, if you want to start slowing down a relationship, losing steam on a relationship, um, number one, show yourself the grace that you will feel bad. 
whenever he or she gives you a guilt trip and says, Hey, we don't hang out anymore. Hey, you don't talk to me anymore. Hey, you used to be responsive. Hey, X, Y, and Z guilt trip, A, B, and C. Show yourself the grace that you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel obligated and you're going to feel not so great about it. But if you know it's for your better good, stand firm in that. Stand firm on that hill saying, I know that I need to reduce my time with this person, um, reduce my time with this person at these places, doing these things, the things that continue to keep you in that perpetual motion of somewhat either not going anywhere or taking backward steps. Um, so that's the number one is give, don't respond right away. Don't feel the obligation to respond right away. Give yourself a couple hours, a couple, a half of a day to start to wean yourself off of and get used to not responding um, if it's a relationship that you know you need to cut off. Um, the second thing to do is it's a twofold or it's a twofold answer. The second thing to do is just be upfront and honest and say, hey, you know what, man, you know what, girl, you know what, friend, I don't get a good feeling whenever we keep doing the same thing. You know, why don't you just my advice for you would be like to speak in hypotheticals. Hey, Joe, don't you feel like we're kind of just spinning our wheels here, man? Don't you feel like we, you know, we stay up too late and we drink and then we wake up hungover and then we're lethargic and we're unmotivated and then we're this and we're that. That's just a, obviously a, uh, you know, kind of a, a cliche scenario, but just be honest and have a conversation. It's a courageous conversation that is number one, going to unlock more potential in you to have harder conversations and more courageous conversations. And number two, you're going to open up the door to, Hey Joe, <clears throat> are you willing to, to a possibly change B change with me? I know you see me trying to, to make changes. I know you see me trying to work, uh, in a right direction in a more further direction. So number one, Stop responding as quickly. Don't feel obligated. And number two, have a courageous conversation. You're going to unlock your potential to have more, more and more courageous conversations. And then you're going to really find out if said person, said friend, said relationship um, is willing to change with you. Are they going to stay on the ground pecking around with the chickens or are they possibly going to want to at least strive to have the desire to be up in the clouds with the eagles? Second one is anonymous. Um, thank you for giving us an opportunity to ask questions, and I would like to remain anonymous for this one. What aspect of your childhood would you attribute your discipline and attitude to the most? What is a was it a good role model or a person or in your sorry was it a good role model in your personal life? A certain TV show or a comic book character, um, and that is from anonymous. That's a great great question. <clears throat> You know, I think I attribute a lot of it to honestly, where I grew up, um, most immediately the household that I grew up in. Um, my dad was a union carpenter, woke up every single morning at 5 a.m., um, tied on his work boots and went to work. And uh, I was really never up that early. Uh, the only time I was up, ever up that early was to either go hunting or fishing with him. And, um, you know, I'd go to school and he would be back, uh, he'd be back home at 2.30 or 3 um, and he would be there at home whenever I would be done with wrestling practice at four or five o'clock or whatever. Same thing with my mom. My mom worked uh, in our family business. My grandpa had a, a bunch of businesses, a scrapyard, um, a couple of different restaurants. And my mom was kind of the secretary slash organizer, keeper of all of those different things. You know, I feel like my mom was kind of the glue that held my grandpa's businesses together. Um, so she had kind of a secretarial managerial role, but it was, it was a lot bigger than that. So my mom had a lot of responsibility handling that stuff. She worked a lot. My dad had a lot of responsibility. He was always a leader at whatever job that he, whatever company he worked for, he was a leader. He was never an owner of the business, but he was very much one of the go-to guys who was a leader and he learned and he taught me, I think, leadership through osmosis at a very young age. I knew my dad was a leader at work. I knew my mom, even though she was under my grandfather's umbrella, my mom showed me leadership um, and work ethic at a very young age. So I think just watching and emulating my, my parents, um, really had a huge impact on me. And then truthfully, I would say the sport of wrestling. Um, I started as a 14 year old wrestling and, um, I think just being in the sport of wrestling, you have no choice but to be 
disciplined. If you're not disciplined, you're not going to be successful. If you have any kind of goals or aspirations or inclinations to be somewhat successful at all, you have to be the standard of discipline, even just the minimum level of discipline that a wrestler has is even higher than most guys in other sports, most girls in other sports, if you will. Um, and other vocations and areas of life. So I would say my mom and my dad, and then the sport of wrestling, because I fell in love with the sport of wrestling. I loved it. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to be a state champion. I wanted to be a national champion when I went to college. Um, none of those, neither of those things happened, but I'm better, better man because of it. And it was definitely not because I lacked discipline. It was because I lacked mental, uh, acuity, mental acuity. Uh, mental, uh, I think mental fortitude. I think I believe I lacked self-belief. I lacked self-image. I lacked self-concept. So, um, that's why next question, Nick Turnbow, my boy, Nick Turnbow from your friend, Nick Turnbow. What are some of your favorite wrestling takedown techniques? Um, good question, Nick. Um, I know Nick has been doing jujitsu for a while now getting better and better. Cause I've been seeing it on social media. Um, wrestling wise, I was more of a sweep single guy. Um, I liked getting around the side of guys and getting the angle, um, mainly because I think I, you know, was somewhat afraid to, to go through guys. Sometimes it wasn't until college that I really started shooting straight shots and really driving through guys. That's when they really taught you how to bring your hips in, hit that step slide drill, bringing your hips in, head up, chest up, hips in and be able to drive through guys. Um, but college as well, the guys had such great defense. I really did a lot of sweep singles outside, grab the head one way, go around the other, grab the head one way, go around the other side, get around, shelf the leg and, um, shelf the leg and score mixed martial arts. I like more straight shots. I'm more of a, I'm usually fighting an orthodox guy. Um, so a lot of times just that straight on single head in the chest, um, single leg to, uh, get through them, get them up against the cage and take them down. Good question, Nick. Next one, Jose Laguin. <clears throat> First of all, thanks for the answers, Mike. Much love. I'm a 20-year-old and I want to compete in mixed martial arts as well as developing an organization to help fighters with brain trauma, CTE, and all of that. I'm constantly in a battle with depression. My question is, what are some tips that you have with daily struggles? Days when something's off and how to keep going despite the situation. Um, as well as not forgetting your objectives in the good moments. I think practical tips would help me the most. Thanks a lot. And I think clips of this clips of this talk would help the canal grow a lot, help the channel grow a lot. Have a good one. See you at the top. <clears throat> so yes, thank you, uh, Jose. Listen, so this is all about depression or feeling off or feeling there's a lot of different adjectives or feelings or verbs we can use. Lost, stuck, sad, gloomy, cloudy, depressed, analysis, paralysis. The biggest question I would have for you, Jose, or anybody struggling with this or, or even pointing the finger at myself, Michael, on those days where you feel like that, which I have a lot more than you guys think I do. Just because I can get on a microphone and talk about practical tips doesn't mean I'm not a guy who doesn't struggle with them. Struggle with bad days, struggle with gloomy days, struggle with foggy days, struggle with feeling like I'm not enough, feeling like I have hit a wall, feeling like the walls are closing in, feeling like I have so much to do, so much responsibility, so much goals, so many, so many aspirations. I tell you guys, I want to be this. I tell my wife, I want to be that. I tell my sons, I want to be this. I tell Connor, I want to be that. And I feel like there is a huge amount of pressure and a lot of things that I want to do, yet I don't know how to get there. And then on top of that, Maybe I had a bad night's sleep on top of that. Maybe Ace was up in the middle of the night on top of that. Maybe Hap came in my room last night and I didn't get a good night's sleep on top of that. Um, you know, maybe I just don't feel it today. Those days are going to happen. Practical tips. Number one, it always helps me when I can really get in a rhythm waking up in the morning at the exact right time. I can tell you this right now. I am admitting that was it last week? Yeah, last week or the week before I went to Vegas. So I was on West Coast time. And then um, then I spent a, a night somewhere where I was on East Coast time, I think. And my my 
rhythm got all off. So these last couple of days, actually this morning was, was good, but I had about three, four days where I was, it was really tough for me to get up when my alarm was going off, you know? And then while I'm also going through this, there's some days where Hap will actually sleep until 6.30, 6.45 or not come to our room till 6.30, 6.45. And Ace somehow sleeps until 6.45. So I had the opportunity to quote unquote sleep in a little bit or stay there a little bit. And I can tell you this right now, snoozing your alarm, or if you wake up before your alarm and you have that moment where you can wake up before your alarm and you can shut it off, swipe it off, whatever you need, whatever you do with it, go grab a cup of coffee, sit there, visualize your day write down or just say or acknowledge five, 10 things that you're grateful for. Thank God for another day. Sit a moment in silence where you woke up before your alarm, you didn't snooze and you didn't lay there a little bit longer. That's one of the biggest keys to success. And that's a very practical thing that you can do. Listen to my voice right now and remember this audio right now. Get up when that alarm goes off. That's the first thing you're going to do. Why? Because life is all about trust. Self-image is all about trust. Performance is all about trust. Attaining the goals that you set out for yourself is all about trust. Can you trust yourself at your greatest moment of opportunity or your darkest hour? Are you enough and can you trust yourself? If you can't trust yourself to get up when that alarm goes off and not hit snooze and lay there and then hit snooze again and lay there and hit snooze again and lay there, what are you reinforcing to yourself? What are you reinforcing to your subconscious? I'm reinforcing to myself, I, Michael Chandler, cannot get up when my alarm tells me I get up. I made a commitment last night when I looked at that alarm, acknowledged that alarm. It said 6 o'clock. It said 5.30. It said 5.45. It said 4 o'clock. It said whatever time it was. I made a commitment to myself. And the first thing that I'm going to do this morning is hit snooze and cancel that commitment. Snooze that commitment. I'm not just talking to you guys. I'm talking to myself because I've done it, like I said, the last couple of days. And it, it puts your day immediately into a funk. Second thing, like I've already kind of acknowledged, get up if you can. Think about five things, even whether it's before you get out of bed, whether it's before your feet touch the ground, or whether it's you get up, you grab your cup of coffee, you get up, you grab your protein shake, you get up, whatever it is that you do right when you wake up in the morning. Say, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for this. Thank you, universe, for this. Thank you for who, whoever it is that you pray to, whoever you look to, whatever your source is, or if there is no source in your life. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my family. Thank you in advance that this is going to happen. Thank you for the health of my family, the health of my sons, the health of my wife, my job. Thank you that I have a job. Thank you that my car runs. Thank you for XYZ, whatever it may be. Starting your morning. A, seeing through to the commitment to yourself, that, that alarm, that the commitment that you made the night before of that alarm. Number two, starting your day on the right foot with gratitude. And then number three, think about your day, have a plan. And don't be afraid to put very, very small menial tasks on that list of things, a to-do list. Even if, it's, even if it was wake up on time, brush your teeth, have a cup of coffee, and do my gratitude list. If I put those four things on my to-do list and I'm able to check those things off, once again, we, what are we doing? We're reinforcing that we can trust ourselves. I was able to trust myself to get up on my, get up when my alarm went off, have a cup of coffee, brush my teeth or vice versa, whatever it might be. Um, and then do my gratitude list. I am reinforcing that I can trust myself. This idea of trusting yourself is so, so important. And I would venture to say, Jose, that there's a little bit of untrustworthiness in your life. Because I know in my life, in the areas that I have struggled, if I'm being honest, I would say, Michael, I don't, I don't think you trust yourself or you don't trust yourself in this area to be able to get this done. I can tell you when I feel the worst about my career, <clears throat> when I feel the worst about being a father, when I feel the worst about being a husband, when I feel the worst about being a businessman, it's because I'm having moments of unclarity, moments of fogginess, moments of, of cloudiness, which then perpetuates more feelings that I can't trust myself to get the job done because I don't know how to get the job done. So see through, the, see through to the commitment of waking up on time, not, smooth, not snoozing, snoozing your alarm. Number two, making a gratitude list. Number three, building trust within yourself. And number four, surround yourself with the best people possible. 
Jose, as we just said, I think two questions ago, we were talking about soaring with the Eagles instead of pecking around with the chickens. Jose, definitely take stock in who you are spending the most time with. And number five, seek wise counsel. Even those people that are not uh, in your life a lot currently, you can probably think of one, two, three, maybe up to five people that you want to spend more time with. Send a text message, make a phone call, send an email, get in the same room with, make sure you rub elbows with, cross paths with those people and then offer to serve them. And then a sixth thing, another practical thing is you can have everything you, you can have everything you want in life. If you will just help enough other people get what they want in life. One of the greatest quotes of all time by one of the greatest speakers of all time, Zig Ziglar, maybe you're focusing on yourself too much. A lot of times when I felt the most depressed or I felt the most sad or the most cloudy or the most confused, it's because I'm always focused on how do I fix this for myself? How do I fix my life? How do I fix this aspect of my life? How do I fix this relationship? How do I fix this part of business? How do I fix this part of my physical physical fitness? Instead of just thinking about serving yourself and just thinking about taking care of yourself, why don't you go out and serve somebody else? Some of the best times of my life have started and been perpetuated and the catalyst was when I was being the most servant leader that I possibly can be, when I can put a smile on people's faces, when I can bring value to people with no question or no, uh, nothing in return asked for not expecting anything in return. So those are some practical things. Um, that was kind of a, kind of a long one. Um, but I'm very passionate because I've been in that same situation. I've been in the same, I've been in the same rut that every, all of you guys have been in. As I said, just because I can sit here and talk onto a microphone and act like I got some answers to a few questions doesn't mean that I don't struggle with the exact same thing. To struggle is to be human. To wander, to err, is to be human. And you have to rest in that and you have to show yourself the grace that you're going to. Moving on, Raul. Hi, Michael. Um, Raul here from Valencia, Spain. I would like to know your take on addiction. No matter if it's eating or tobacco or whatever, the brain is almost unbreakable. When he wants to convince you to relapse or do it. And the cold turkey quitting is remarkably hard. I tried this with my addiction to tobacco as well. It's strange. I love reading, also writing, and you can add, and you can add this kind of atmosphere you have when there are cigarettes and some melancholy that that is it sometimes that it's sometimes appealing when you're trying to reach deep emotion emotions. So essentially he's saying he is a he is a writer, um, and it's harder. You know, when people are around him with tobacco um, and, it, and it helps him make make it makes him more creative and has more deep emotions. Thank you for all your work. My brother and I are always here watching every fight. I love I love if you can send some some uh, some force to him since he is now in the hospital recovering from pneumothorax. We need to look that up. He is doing well and sure he'll become very excited if he listens to sending, sending you this force. His name is George or Jorge. Thanks for the inspiration. See at the top. So, uh, Raul is talking about addiction. Um, man, oh man. Um, it's a tough one because, uh, I know there's a lot of different, uh, I know there's a lot of different, um, thoughts on addiction. Um, you know, I just, I just, uh, was listening to my friend David Meltzer the other day talking about one of his friends and he was, he was, and he said verbatim, he has my friend, he was talking about my friend has a, a disease called alcoholism. So there are people that call it a disease. There are people that just say, Hey, it's, it's easy to quit. It's mind over matter. Um, so I think you got people in two different camps. One people that say, Hey, this is not your fault. You have a disease called alcoholism or you're addicted to drugs, tobacco, sex, whatever it may be. Um, and then there's other people that say, Hey, it's mind over matter. It's, it's willpower. It's whatever. And then there's, you know, all the different aspects in between. And I'm not going to disrespect anybody by sitting here and saying that it's mind over matter, because I think we, you are what you are and where you are because of what has happened to you, the circumstances that you've been in, the circumstances that you surround yourself with, what is going on inside of your mind, where your self-concept is. Um, but there are also bad things that happen to people and we are prone to wander and we all have moments of pain that needs to be subsided, that needs to be weaned, that needs to be shielded. And sometimes the endorphins, the, the high, the, the feeling we get that we need to escape from 
certain pains and certain things that we, we want to, to shield ourselves from, it's, it's, uh, it can be very addicting. You know, I've seen it in people in my life. Um, I've been very fortunate that I think I've, you know, I've struggled with things in my life, of course, but have never had anything really overtake me. Praise God. Um, so I'm not going to disrespect or downplay addiction and say, Hey, it's mind over matter. It can be fixed. Uh, you know, just read a good book and listen to this podcast and listen to your favorite person and just visualize yourself getting off of it. I just don't, I don't think that's 100% realistic. Um, but on the same token, I don't know if I'm going to say there is nothing that can be done with it because you have a disease, like you have a, you know, like you have a, a disease that you came down with and, and there's just nothing you can do about it. It's, it's terminal. It's going to be with you for the rest of your life. I think somewhere in between where we can take steps, uh, similar to what I was talking about, um, in the previous question, if I would say it, there's no guarantee that it will help, that it will cure your addiction, but really taking stock in and really working on the mindset and your self-image and your self-concept and your confidence and your happiness, your peace, your joy, and your content contentment, making that front of mind, making that the most important thing in your life currently. It's not going to guarantee that you're going to be able to get over an addiction, be released from an addiction, but it's definitely not going to hurt your chances of it. It's definitely going to help. Um, so Raul, I would say certain things in life too, you know, I mean, you know, we're talking about an addiction to tobacco here. Um, not going to downplay any addiction or I'm not going to downplay anything that could negatively affect your health. Um, but when it comes to things to be addicted to, tobacco is uh, definitely at the the top of the list that most people would want to be addicted to if that was the worst thing that they were addicted to. Whether it be food, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be whatever, overindulging in something we know is wrong. When I say we, I mean, we, as in me as well, I've overindulged, um, in my life as well. And there, it always comes with a little bit of pain, a little bit of regret, which then in turn can either be the catalyst that makes a change or the catalyst that continues to dig a deeper hole. Um, so once again, not to just go back to my blanket answer for everything it seems like these days, but build up your mind, build up your heart, build up your social network, build up your relationship capital, build your, build up the, the visions in your mind um, and the things that you glorify in your heart to be able to say that this thing, this chemical, this action doesn't have as much of a grip on me as I would lead on to believe. Tell yourself that every day. Continue to A, gain trust in yourself with yourself. B, focus on that gratitude list as I have spoken about in the previous question. Three, surround yourself with the right people. Four, get active. Get active. Whether it's taking a walk, whether it's spending some time in the sun, if you are blessed enough during right now, you know, as this episode comes out, it's going to be winter here in the, in the Midwest and the Southeast. It's going to be winter time. It's December. It's about to be the holidays. Um, get, get active, get out in the sun. If you are blessed enough to be, well, Raul, you're in Spain. I actually don't know what the climate is in Spain, but it might be warmer than it is here in Nashville, Tennessee, but get out, get in the sun. And then surround yourself with the best people possible. Thank you for the question, Raul. Ethan, Ethan Lancaster, do you think you're a better stylistic matchup for Islam Makachev than he, the, the likes of Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje? Um, good question. Going back to an MMA question, switching gears. Um, it's a hard question to answer. I just lost a Justin. I'm oh, sorry. I just lost a Dustin and I lost a Justin. So it's hard for me. Uh, Ethan, I've been in these situations before. <clears throat> Do I believe that I'm a bad matchup for Islam? Absolutely. But can I sit here and actually say I'm a better match? I'm a, a worse matchup than Dustin and Justin, both guys who beat me. I've fallen into these traps before where people say, I can't believe this guy said he he's would beat Islam and these other guys couldn't blah, blah, blah. Cause they beat him. and styles do make, make fights. Stylistic matchups are the most important thing about, uh, how fights go. I do think my wrestling is better than Justin's and better than Dustin's. Um, doesn't mean I would beat Islam. 
I lost to Dustin, lost to Justin. But I do think I'm a better stylistic matchup than Islam. And someone's going to pull this out and make sure they put that out there because they love putting me and Islam in the same, in the same uh, conversation and in the same headlines. But had I beat Dustin, I probably would be next in line for Islam. But I didn't. So thanks for bringing it up, Ethan. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, we'll see. Islam versus Alex Volkanovsky here in a month or so. So should be good. Alan Wynn. Oh, it looks like we got a two-part, three-part question here. Okay. Hi, Michael. There's a topic I would like to talk about. I've seen so many of your interviews and podcasts, and I haven't seen you touch on this topic much as it is about girls. Ooh. Number one. Excuse me. Number one, how do you know you found the one? You, i.e. you and your beautiful wife. Thank you, dude. I did find the one. Um, And then number two, how or has temptation crept into your relationship once you become more successful because you're good looking and because you're good looking and successful. I can only imagine girls be trying to slide in once you become popular. Anyways, thank you. I am so glad you finally started a podcast. I really hope you get the McGregor fight and wish you nothing but the absolute best. Um, I hope you get the McGregor fight too, Alan. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Cause I, you know, I by no means claim to be a relationship expert. Um, but man, I, I do. And and my wife and I's relationship is very unique. I, I, you know, I think we, you know, we just did a podcast yesterday, um, with the meat mafia, me and Connor were there and, uh, we were talking about my wife and I think I said something like, it's not a perfect relationship or we're not, I don't believe that there is any kind of like perfect relationship because it's always changing. Seasons are constantly changing different people are going to be at different levels or different uh, maturity levels at different times, different experience levels at different times, different pain levels at different times, different responsibility levels at different time, different motivation, inspiration pumped up at one moment and then tough times the next. And really you're just living life with and helping manage and helping bounce off and helping inspire, take care of and love your best friend uh, through it all. Um, so the first question is, how do you know you found the one? And I, you know, I, I say what I just said about it never being perfect because it is, I do feel like my wife and I are perfect for each other, but there's going to be times that you're on different pages or you're, you're at, you're at different paces or you're at different, um, different seasons. Um, you know, my wife and I have, have, you know, we got the adoption journey that we've gone through. We've got our, our marriage journey. We've got my career journey. We've got me traveling journey, being away from the family journey. My wife still pursuing her second and third career journey and her going back to school and becoming a doctor journey and just a lot of different things. And that's not even counting just, you know, raising the children that we do have and still cultivating the love that we do have and going on dates when we can and, and making her feel special because she deserves to feel special and her making me feel like I'm a good man and I'm a, I'm a good father and I'm a good husband. You know, you start to learn these things. I know exactly, I know what my wife's ideal version of herself is and I want her to feel that way. So what can I do to reinforce to her that the most important voice in her life, i.e. me, which, which is me here on earth, how do I reinforce that she is the best version of herself, even when I might know she's not at her best, even when I know darn well that she knows that she's not at her best and vice versa. Her making me feel... <clears throat> Like I'm a good man, good father, good husband, good provider, good, good athlete, good X, Y, and Z, even though, even when she knows I'm having moments of hardship, moments of pain, moments of downtrodden being down in the valley, because we all go through them. But how do you know you found the one? It's a hard question to answer because there's so many different circumstances, timing, circumstances, seasons. Only thing I could say, the only reason I knew 
that Brie was the one and the perfect woman for me. Well, number one, I, I, I think I already kind of knew that before we got together, which was crazy. Um, I had a vision on my heart and mind that I was going to at least get in touch with this girl, Brie, before we actually ended up meeting. And then when I did meet her, she exceeded all of my expectations. And I just, I knew from the first moment that I saw her in, in real life, finally, because we emailed back and forth for years, that she was going to be the girl I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And I would move heaven and earth and I would do anything to be with her. And I knew I was ready to marry her within the first month, you know, which sounds crazy. Um, but I just remember the comfortability. I remember the zero expectations. I feel like every relationship I ever had prior to her, there was some sort of expectation that I had to do things or I had to be a certain way or I had to, had to perform, if you will. There was no, there was none of that. I felt like Michael. And, that, and that's all I felt like. And it was easy. You know, I can tell you this, especially in the very beginning of your relationship, Alan, if you're, if you're with somebody and it feels like work right away, it feels like you have to strive and perform and you have to build. No, I'm not saying don't, don't make her feel special. Make the reservations, use words of affirmation, give her gifts, you know, find out what her love language is, physical touch or whatever her love language is. Make sure you serve that love language. But if it feels like work, and it feels arduous and it feels a little bit daunting at the very beginning, especially during the honeymoon phase, chances are it's not going to get much better. Um, comfortability, and it just felt right. That's a very hard, very cliche way to answer that, but I just knew that she was the one because it just felt right. It felt easy. It felt smooth like butter. Uh, and number two, how has... Uh, temptation crept in your relationship once you become successful. You're a good looking, successful guy. I can only imagine girls trying to slide into your slide in to become as you become more popular. Um, luckily, I can tell you this, and I'm actually very thankful for this. Uh, mixed martial arts is a 90% male dominated fan sport, <laughs> you know? Uh, so it's not like, you know, I've got, I've got friends that are athletes of, in other sports. I got a friends that are, uh, country music stars. I got friends that are, um, on big platforms doing, doing other things. And there's a lot more women fans, if you will, a lot more women involved in those things than there is mixed martial arts. So I'm very thankful for that. Most of the time when I get someone coming up gushing over me and wanting to hug me and take a picture with me and all that kind of stuff, it's usually a dude. <laughs> you know, like, which works out really well. And, and Brie and I have talked about that a lot. And she's like, I actually, you know, love it because it would be really hard if you were, you know, I got friends in the country music that it's, and then we've actually, we've actually, um, compared Instagrams, you know, Instagram will tell you, Hey, you, you know, 40% of your following is this and 60% of your following is that my following was 90, 92% male and 8% female. And his was like 92% female and 8% male. So I can only imagine how that adds more challenges. Um, but no, as far as temptation goes, no, I just, man, I don't even want to, I don't even want to park in a, a spot that, that I can't park in because I'm afraid I'm going to get a parking ticket. And then I have that hanging over my head. <laughs> you know, I don't even want to, I don't want to add any more, you know, I just got done talking to you guys, a, uh, a, uh, a question or two about all the different obligations and things and, and, and how I have to put a plan in place because I have so much going on in my life. The last thing I want to do is add any kind of stress like that. And that's probably the worst kind of stress. One of the worst kinds of stress that you can ever go through is those kind of temptations or feeling like you've done something wrong or, um, delving down that road whatsoever. Um, but the biggest thing is just don't, A, don't put yourself in those situations. I know, you know, right here in the question, I'm sure, you know, people try to slide in or girls try to slide in. Don't give them the option to slide in and they can't slide in. You know, for me, I don't like to travel by myself. I like to always have someone with me, an accountability partner with me um, at all times. Um, if my wife isn't with me, I got a good friend with me, somebody that I know, love and trust with me um, to make sure that I'm staying in, in, uh, just in a, in a safe space, if you will. And that's just, that's not just with the temptation of the opposite sex. That's just the temptation of also 
you know, dudes, you know, maybe wanting to get squirrely at a place, you know, trying to get me in trouble or doing something like that. There's just, it's always good to have good, safe people around you that you could trust, um, with your life, with your reputation, with your livelihood, with your everything. Um, so temptation luckily for me has never been a, a problem. Um, but I would say just putting myself in the, in the shoes of somebody who that is, um, a struggle of theirs, have someone around you. Number one, admit that, Hey, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really struggling with this temptation. I'm struggling with ideas, thoughts, uh, inclinations. Can you help me before this goes down the wrong road? Hey, can you go on this trip with me? Hey, can you, you know, can we talk about this thing? Because even just getting it out of the open and talking about it is going to help me and it's going to help me compartmentalize it, but also look at it and plan, put a plan in place about how, if this happens again, or if this temptation happens again, then I'm going to be able to know who to call, know what to do. Um, so hard question to answer, Alan. Um, but there's my answer. Peter. Peter Kelly, I am 15 and have recently found a passion for MMA. I truly do see a future in fighting and I am prepared to work as hard as I need to in order to find success. How did your MMA journey begin? What advice do you have for an aspiring fighter? I love watching your fights. You're an incredible martial artist. Best of luck. See you at the top, Peter Kelly. Peter, thank you, man. You are the man. And yes, you are only 15. So you are seven years younger than when I started mixed martial arts. So that's how I started mixed martial arts. I started it as a 22 year old, right out of college, got done wrestling at Mizzou and, uh, decided that I was going to give mixed martial arts a try and followed Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley into the sport of mixed martial arts, graduated in March of 2009, fought my first fight in August of 2009, won by TKO in the first round. At First Blood Fight Promotions in Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri, and I haven't looked back since. Um, when I went to that first fight, did that first fight, was training for the first fight, wasn't quite sure what I was going to, what mixed martial arts was going to be in my life. Was it going to be a small, small, short blip on the radar type of, hey, I just did this a couple times so I could tell people I fought in a cage? Or was I going to make a living out of it? You know, I had Tyron for sure set on making a living out of it. I had been really starting to really realize he was going to make a living out of it. Those guys were like my big brothers. So I thought, well, I'll give it a chance or give it a shot. But, um, you're on the right track though. If you see a future in fighting, you better be as, uh, you better be prepared to work as hard as possible. And what advice would I give? Well, number one, Peter, you're 15 years old. First thing that comes to mind is the mind. It is the brain. It is damage. You're 15 years old. I don't think, and this was this is just my personal opinion. Take it with a grain with a grain of salt. I don't think you need to be sparring yet. I would not be taking damage yet. Like I said, I think the fact that I didn't take my first real punch until I was 22 years old has really helped me prolong my career. 36, I'll be 37 in four months. Uh, and I've been able to prolong my career because I didn't really take my first damage. And I, I took some damage in wrestling. Trust me, guys. There were some times where I hit head to head with guys or I got picked up. I got slammed. Uh, you know, I took some damage with the sport of wrestling, but it wasn't, it wasn't like punches to the head. Number one, Peter, make sure you're not sparring crazy hard. You can get so much more. You can get so much done distance, timing, footwork, punches, combinations done with what we like to call Dutch drills. Go on. When you get done with this video right now, Google or YouTube Dutch drills, uh, Google H kickboxing, Henry hoofed drills. I'm sure he's got some videos out there. We do drills with a partner, punching gloves, throwing leg kicks, throwing body kicks, not taking any damage to the head. Um, at least twice a week, usually, um, definitely Mondays. And then usually sprinkle them in another time during the week, a lot of drilling, play sparring, moving around, being creative, training in the non fight or flight. I can't stress this enough. If you spar like crazy and you're looking across the cage at your adversary in your sparring match and you go out there and it turns into a knockdown drag out fight or flight war, 
You're reinforcing in your subconscious when that battle happens, it's time to go crazy ham and be in flight or fight mode. I believe some of the guys you watch, you watch a guy like Israel Adesanya, the way he moves effortlessly, the way he looks like he's never in trouble. Um, who else is a good example? You guys know what I'm saying. Those guys that you just watch, and you're like, man, dude, he looks like he's just out there flowing. Um, I don't think you guys get the the sense that of that whenever I fight. Um, so I'm sitting here, sounds like I'm being a hypocrite because I, uh, I'm telling you to be a little bit more loose and not be in flight or fight mode. But when I'm in a fight, I'm, I look like I'm in fight or flight mode, but I do a lot of play sparring, moving around, not doing, not going too crazy, choosing the right partners. Um, I train with a bunch of absolute beasts in the gym. Um, but I only actually go with and spar with a few guys, guys that I know guys that I love, guys that I trust, and they feel the same way about me. And we know we're not going to hurt each other. We know we're not going to take damage. So that's my biggest advice. You're 15 years old. Think about, don't think about the 15 year old Peter. Don't think about the 25 year old Peter. Think about the 30 year old Peter. Is your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your technique, is it all going to last? Is it all going to, to withstand the test of time? Because you still have another decade until you start to scratch the surface of your real potential and of your prime. I can tell you guys this, I didn't feel like a real man until I turned 27, 28, 29, 30 years old. I feel like I was at my highest peak and I, st- I still feel like I'm at my highest peak. I feel like my, my prime has been pushed back because I started the sport a little bit late at 22, um, I really started to hit my prime at like 30, 31. That's when your brain and your body start to really mesh and mold at a level that is just, it's different than when you're young and you're, you're young and you're hungry and you're athletic and your body doesn't hurt but you don't have the the skills accrued yet. You don't have the old man strength. You don't have the the years and years of armor that you've put on your body. So think about the 25-year-old Peter. Think about the 30-year-old Peter. Think about the long game. Never burn a bridge. Have a good reputation. Never operate outside of your character. Don't sacrifice your your character for, for sound bites to try to get in the headlines, to try to get certain fights. Be you. Be unapologetic, unapologetically, authentically you in this career. It's worked out well for me. And number three, four, five, whatever we're at, be a good employee to the current organization that you are with. I can tell you the reason that I have been able to be pretty darn successful in this sport was I was always a really good employee to Bellator, never bad-mouthed never bad-mouthed them. They loved me. I loved them. It was a good, mutually beneficial, symbiotic relationship. And then coming over to the UFC, it's expanded tenfold and... I got a great relationship with the UFC, not just the UFC brass, but all the way down to the janitor at the UFC PI, everybody in between. Um, Reputation is going to be the most important thing that you can have um, because it will carry you into every aspect of your life and it'll get you more success, more friends, more significance. It'll get you paid more. It'll get you a bigger platform. It'll get you more ultimately joy um, out of life. Jamie McGregor related to Connor, (laughs) Jamie McGregor. Hi, Michael, with your extremely active lifestyle and challenging fitness regimen, when you get ill, injured or in, or any other setback, something that stops you from training, how do you approach it? I'm an amateur fighter. And whenever I get sidelined, negative thoughts start to creep in and it gets me down. I'd love to hear how you approach it. Michael, considering you're at a much higher level and you have dealt with some pretty serious injuries. Thanks a lot. See you at the top. Great question. Um, this is really tough, especially, you know, Jamie being a, an amateur, um, an amateur fighter, when you get sidelined, whether it be sickness, illness, whether it be your opponent pulls out of a fight, whether it be something like COVID happens, whether it, whether it be you get an actual injury and you have to sit on the sidelines, all of the different circumstances that may sideline you, the biggest thing is to remember, and you guys hear me talk about this all the time, building up the mind is just as important as building up the body. If you have a hand injury, you can run. If you have a leg injury, you can sit down and lift weights. Um, if you can't do either or you're just ill, also don't be afraid to just shut your mind off and just have a day. 
show yourself the grace to have a day. Now make sure that day doesn't turn into two days, three days, four days, turn into a week. And then all of a sudden you definitely feel a little bit regretful that you spent way too much time sitting on the couch and feeling sorry for yourself. But A, don't be afraid to give yourself a day. And B, do what you can with what you have. If you got a leg injury, don't be afraid to pull out your journal and just journal. Write down, I, Jamie, believe this about myself. I want to be this. I want to do this. I want to have this. I am thankful for this. I am thanking God in advance because this is going to happen. I am thankful in advance that I have confident expectancy that this is going to happen in my life. This is going to happen in my career. This is going to happen in my relationships. This is going to happen in my finances. This is going to happen in my faith. Build the mind by writing things down and creating that, the neuro, opening up new channels and neuroplasticities by opening up your mind and seeing things if you can't do things with your body. And then make sure you're getting good rest and make sure you're getting good supplementation. Make sure you're taking all of the things that will build up your immune system so you don't get as sick for as long. Or maybe you can fight off the sicknesses or the illnesses, or maybe it will get you back to the road to recovery quicker. Um, if you have an injury, I cannot stress this enough. Make sure you are diligent with your physical therapy. So many guys and gals have ruined their careers because they had an injury that could have been rehabbed sufficiently and effectively and efficiently for four weeks. If they would have just put the work in for four weeks, three days a week, that injury would have came back better than before the injury happened. And now it becomes a six-year-long nagging injury that probably pulled them further away from them uh, reaching their goals. Um, so build up the mind when you can't build up the body. Give yourself permission to take a day of rest. Make sure you're supplementing correctly. Make sure you're seeking wise counsel. Make sure you're listening to your coaches, um, your doctors, your nutritionists, your the people around you who know more than you. I'm constantly seeking out people who can help me um, make sure I can get the most out of my body from a physical standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, from a mental standpoint. That is a good question though, Jamie. Appreciate you. Jeff. Hi, Michael Chandler. My name is Jeff and I just want to say, I really admire you as a fighter. Many people say you're a great entertainer, but I see, I see past that. To me, you're one of the best. You're one of the best. Your style is very well-rounded and adaptable. You add strength and explosive power. You and the strength and explosive power you have is really amazing. I'm 17 and I want to join MMA and your fighting style is what I want to use as a base. So if you don't mind, please tell tell if I, please tell me if I can't afford the gym, what are the best exercises to do to build strength and explosive power? And what category would you say needs more focus when it comes to your combat? Great question. Number one, thank you for the sentiment. Number two, um, I do, I do believe I've, um, somewhat, uh, uncovered one of the important secrets about continuing to be more explosive. And that is just training explosive. A lot of med ball stuff, a lot of jumps, a lot of explosive movements. Um, I think you can lift static heavy weights for a few reps, um, all day long and it's going to make you stronger. It's, it's going to probably going to bulletproof your body and make, make sure your joints and stuff feel, feel great. Um, and I do lift heavy, and at certain times, but for the most part, when you guys see me working out, when you guys see me doing any kind of movement, a lot of times it's strength plus speed equals power. So I'm adding a strength movement with a speed movement to increase power, to to increase explosivity. A lot of med ball stuff, whether it be side tosses into the wall, tosses over the head, tosses down, tosses in a diagonal fashion. An example of strength plus speed, plus speed equals power would be something like doing a kettlebell or a goblet or a back squat, five, six, 10 reps, nothing too crazy heavy, um, straight into racking the bar and then jumping up and doing five explosive box jumps. So you had a strength, a strength movement with the legs coupled with a explosive movement with the box jumps with the legs to increase your ability to have more power, more explosivity. And you can do the same thing with the upper body, whether it be bench press, one-arm bench press, straight into explosive throws, uh, whether it be presses, 
straight into explosive throws, explosive throws. Um, you guys can see all of these workouts I have. I mean, I've got them all over my Instagram. Um, you go to walkonfit.com. I have my, I have my um, Walk On Fitness app where we have a four-week upper body program, four-week lower body program, six-week total body explosive train like an athlete program with myself and my coach, Jeremy Holt. We have a four-week body weight program where there's no equipment needed, um, plus our supplement list, our diets, and all that kind of, all of those kind of things. Um, but you're 17 years old. It's definitely, you know, you know, it would be advised by a lot of people that it's time to start lifting some weights. I think maybe in the next year or so, um, just to cover my own butt there, making sure I'm not telling a guy too young to be lifting weights. Um, but there's a lot of stuff you can do: pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, air squats, box jumps, sprinting. Um, I think one of the one of the most underrated things that we can do to make ourselves continually more explosive and faster and having more power is running extremely fast, sprinting extremely fast, whether it's a 400, uh, whether it's a 40 yard dash, whether it's a hundred yard dash, whether it's on a football field at a park on a, uh, on a track, whatever it may be. Um, but if I could go with my five best exercises, anything med ball slam squat jumps with or without uh lightweight, um, lateral hops, over a bench, side to side, sprinting, and then making sure, kind of the fifth aspect, makes you, making sure you're thinking about strength plus speed equals power. As I said, you can go to my Instagram at Mike Chandler MMA, and I've gave a, I give away, I've given away hundreds of workouts, and a lot of them are strength plus speed equals power. You can also go to WalkOnFit.com right now, and we have over a hundred different videos on the platform as of right now. All righty. Um, that is it actually. Um, so as always, I appreciate you guys. Um, you know, when it, a lot of times it just needs to be emphasized a lot of times right now, you had numerous people talking about finding success in new relationships, pecking around with the chickens, flying with the eagles, talk about, Hey, I've been stuck. Hey, I'm feeling depressed. Um, Hey, I'm struggling with this and being in bad situations and, um, what can I do to increase my circumstances? What can I do to increase my platform, increase my, my status in life? Guys, it's all going to go back to what you are, what you are and where you are because of what has gone into your mind. And the good thing is I'm speaking to you guys right now. And if you're listening to these words currently, you've already been listening to this entire episode and you have got better. You've picked up some kind of nugget. As I said, i don't claim to know everything. Matter of fact, there's some days where I feel like I know nothing. And I think that's one of the most important aspects of this entire journey and this entire process that we call life. Showing yourself the grace and realizing that the older you get, the more you realize you don't know a dang thing. But there's freedom in that. My wife and I talk about it all the time. You know, it's like we, uh, they didn't tell you that you were going to feel like you were flying by the seat of your pants the entire time that you're trying to raise kids. It just seemed like your mom and dad or maybe your grandma and grandpa, whoever, whoever raised you, it just seemed like they knew what the heck they were doing. And I think it's very similar to life. I thought I'd have life figured out by the time I was 36 years old. But with every year, every season, every opportunity, every tough thing that happens, you start to realize you know a lot less than you thought you did, <laughs> you know? So I think just showing yourself the grace, building up your mind. I challenge everybody right now, make sure you don't snooze that, that alarm tomorrow. I'm making a challenge to myself. Today I didn't. I was very proud of myself. I didn't. And I woke up this morning and I had a really actually a great morning compared to the last three or four mornings because I finally got my sleep schedule back on. Um, write down that gratitude list, five things that you were thankful for, a couple things that you want to be, do, be, do, or have. Make a phone call, a text, an email to somebody that you admire and that you want to get closer with. Act act in service to them ask any way that you can help them because you're you are 
able to have anything you want in life if you'll help enough other people get what they want in life. And by reaching upward to help somebody who is on a ring above you, they will then in turn realize that they, they can use you as a resource and in turn want to help you later on. It's a law of reciprocation. That's Walk On Wisdom episode four. I appreciate you guys. Um, if you liked this episode, um, like, comment, make sure you put your comments in there because we are reading them and we are going to try to respond uh, to more when we get a chance. Uh, and also, if you want your questions answered, podcast at michaelchandler.com. As always, walk on. God bless, and I'll see you at the top.